I was in a highly functioning position at, at the, you know, the Florida Panthers down in, in Sunrise, Florida, a chief revenue officer spot. And before I knew it, it was like everything. I, I had no connection between my brain and my body. <laughs> I, I couldn't form sentences. And for two and a half years, I laid in a bed staring at a ceiling, not watching TV, not listening to the radio, just uh, waiting for some kind of miracle pill to kick in. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with energy and joy. Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. While you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Zest, where you're going to get behind-the-scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits. And of course, I also have a Facebook group where we talk about things all aging and zestful. Just go to Facebook groups and enter Zestful Aging. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side, but since we have a foot of snow right now, uh, there's not going to be a hike, but we are going to have a great interview for you today. We're going to talk about a really important subject, which is the stigma of mental illness. And many of us have been aware of this problem, but as the pandemic lingers on, more of us are struggling with our mental health than ever before. And now is the perfect opportunity to change how we view and how we understand mental health. And we have the perfect guest to help us do that. Eric Cusson is a professional sports executive and the founder of We're All a Little Crazy. Eric brings together athletes, celebrities, and expert practitioners with the aim of decreasing the stigma related to mental illness. After a successful career that started at the NBA league office and led to senior management positions with a number of professional sports teams, Eric's mental health took a sudden and rapid decline. This decline left him almost permanently in bed and with severe cognitive impairment for just over two and a half years. And once he found a way to climb out of his abyss, he vowed to spend the rest of his life focused on changing the global conversation through mental health advocacy. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you, Nicole. Your your opening is so smooth that I feel like if I speak at all, I'm going to put a <laughs> put a wrinkle in how great that was. Oh, 
thank you. Thanks. I am so glad that you're joining us today, Eric. I, you know, I'm aware that we're starting to get some new statistics in about mental health and the pandemic. And of course, the suicide rate has been rising steadily over the years. But the last stat I saw was that it's increased 200 percent. And I really am interested in hearing your take because, you know, you've said mental health is a continuum and that these kind of struggles are part of the human experience. But that's counter to the way the medical world views mental illness, that you either have a diagnosis or Mm -hmm. you're fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how you see this. Sure. And I don't know if you teed me up in the intro by uh, using the term mental illness in there when talking oh. about changing the conversation. Um, oh, so, oh, I see. No, I wasn't trying to be okay. provocative. All right. So, yeah, I, I thought maybe that away. was poking the bear a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, no. Blast away. You know, it's interesting. You know, Nicole, I, you know, for a shorter form conversation like this, it obviously is difficult to go deep into my story. But the little bit that you shared about being a professional sports executive and then you know, essentially hitting a brick wall with my brain and my body becoming dysfunctional, uh, almost what felt like overnight. And and it wasn't overnight now looking back on it, but it felt at the time like it was. I was in a highly functioning position at, at the, you know, the Florida Panthers down in, in Sunrise, Florida, a chief revenue officer spot. And before I knew it, it was like everything I I had no connection between my brain and my body. <laughs> I, I couldn't form sentences. And for two and a half years, I laid in a bed, staring at a ceiling, not watching TV, not listening to the radio, just uh, waiting for some kind of miracle pill to kick in because what we hear so much in this space is you're either sick or you're healthy. And when you're sick, what do you do when you're sick? Well, when we grow up and we are taken to the doctor by our parents and we have strep throat, bronchitis, pneumonia, we take this thing called an antibiotic and it is a miracle pill. And it helps us feel better in two days and we sleep and we sweat off whatever Mm. fever we have. Mm -hmm. And then we go right on our merry way. So why wouldn't we think any differently um, when it comes to our mental health? You feel lethargic. You feel run down. You don't feel like you have things together. You're exhausted. So it makes sense that you'd expect a pill to kick in and help you. Especially since you cannot turn on the television without getting blasted with different medications for every, uh, you know, like, are you depressed? Is your Let, let's dive even deeper into that, right? How, okay. about the, how about that the commercials now have dumbed it down so much to the point where they're cartoon commercials instead of real people. And uh, the cartoons aren't even of people. They're of blobs that have a face. And the mm. blob has a sad face with gray clouds above it mm-hmm. and sad music. And then 15 seconds into that 30-second commercial, a pill is introduced. Ah. The music becomes beautiful. The clouds ah. go away. It's a blue sky. And now the blob is smiling, right? Oh, you! I can hear how pissed off you are right well, now. Well, the reason why, you know, look, it was, the great, it was the greatest tragedy in my life up until this point. But it's also been the greatest opportunity and given me a platform to be able to speak about it. Because I technically ended up wasting two and a half years of my life laying in that bed, trying over 50 different psychotropic drug combinations because, Nicole, I'm a stubborn bastard and I want to work my ass off to to get better in anything that I do. And so even though I was at my most miserable place, 
my way of thinking I was working the hardest I could was hanging on for dear life, mm-hmm. waiting for the next four or six weeks to pass by, which is the time period they give you to try yes. the next psychotropic mm-hmm. drug combination, hoping the new one would kick in. And that led to then trying TMS therapy, 23 sessions, 23 mm-hmm. days in a row of getting my brain you know, interjected with with my, with uh, electromagnetic waves to try and wake up my neurons. That led to the first ever feeling of a suicidal ideation, which led to mm. my uh, voluntarily going to a psych ward. Mm. Uh, in the psych ward then, um, being told by a top doc, and I use that in quotes, not because it's not true. She had the plaques all up on her wall, but mm. you know, she's she's looking at me and she's looking at medicine the conventional way that we we learn about it and that they learn about in school. And she looks at my chart and she says, Eric, you've tried everything mm. there is. That's Your right. last resort is to do shock therapy. So if that's what I heard and you're saying you you hear it in my voice, that's because what we are taught, what we are shown. The marketing messages, and I'll get into kind of you know how I how I came across the way that the marketing messages don't work for us and actually move us further away as a society is understanding this topic. Is that I was that very person <laughs> that bought into those messages because that's what we are educated through is these commercials. Because you look at you know the the timeline. You and I are both in New York. New York was the first state to require mental health education. And it was July 11th of 2018. That's how recently it was. Mm-hmm. You have the mm-hmm. pandemic that comes in in the middle mm-hmm. of that between mm-hmm. then and now and people having to worry about just getting kids online with their computers and doing remote learning. Oh, yeah. Guess what? You know, social emotional learning is not really taking a priority right now it, when it should, given the numbers that you just described. No, we don't we don't have a plate to put things on if we don't have social emotional health. That is the plate. Yes. And, Yeah. So let me ask you this question, Eric, you're laying there, your brain is not working. You were a highly successful executive. You're laying in a bed, just counting the days down. What, what would have helped in at that time? What would have been the intervention that would have gotten you out of that bed? Well, what I came to realize after going through all those failed treatments was that I was sitting on this bedrock of stress and trauma. Um, I, I When I grew up from the time I was eight years old until I was 23, so for about a 15-year period, I had an older brother who broke his femur bone in an accident, was in a body cast for your homeschool, then diagnosed with ALL, a children's form of leukemia, mm-hmm. five years of chemo radiation. A month later, is in a Jeep Wrangler with his friends. They bought it, you know, with their permit, <laughs> driving around. Car loses control. He flies out of the car, lands on his head, cracks his head open, loses partial vision in his eyes in ICU for a month. Oh. Goes to college up by you at Cornell, you know, where I went as well, but he went before me and uh, is, is feeling a pain in his knee. They do all the tests. Comes back that um, his cancer from childhood returned. So now they have to give him a much stronger chemo regimen. The chemo regimen, after a year, sends his body into what's called septic shock. Mm. Uh, Organs start attacking themselves, and he goes into a coma. And we're hearing from the neurologist, we don't know if he's going to wake or if he's going to have any brain activity. I'm up at school at this point. I'm driving back and forth. My parents are living at the hospital. Three months of this, and at the three-month mark, miracle again. He wakes, and he's got his full cognitive faculties about him. But Mm. his kidneys fail from the rigor of the septic shock. He has to go on dialysis. We oh. all get tested to see who's the closest match. My father is donates a kidney to him. I finally feel like I'm in the clear. 
get my job at the NBA league office. And that first year at a school, three of my close friends uh, age 22 and 23 pass away unexpectedly of heart conditions, all separate oh. cases. Just oh. Oh so, you know, God. when you ask me what the, I, the reason I gave you that long answer to that short question, Nicole, is when you ask me what would I have hoped would have taken place uh, when I was laying in that bed. Just from an educational perspective, I wish I, what I would have known is that I was sitting on this bedrock of stuff. And the reason I didn't make that connection until a, a great integrative psychologist who's still my great friend and my doctor to this day helped walk me through that and helped me understand that is because when we're not feeling well with our mental health, what often happens is we go to our general practitioner and they give us a Prozac or a Zoloft, mm-hmm. like that first level SSRI. Mm-hmm. Or we go to a psychologist who says, this is a little more intense than, quote, talk therapy. I'm going to send you a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist gives you that drug to try. And you think you have this thing called a chemical imbalance. And that's all it is. And you don't realize that you're sitting on this bedrock of chronic stress and trauma. And for anyone who's hearing that and saying, I haven't been through a traumatic event. I don't deal with chronic stress and trauma. Divorce, job loss, breakups, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, bullying, cyberbullying, loss of loved ones, sickness of loved ones. I mean, the list is a mile long. I can go on with it. There's not a person in this world who doesn't deal with some, many, or all of those things that I just described. And so, you know, if you going back to you ask me what I would have done, I, one, wish I would have been educated mm. in school. Mm-hmm. I wish my parents would have been educated. And my parents are both educators. Um, and and they weren't educated in this space. So we all thought I'm sitting there waiting for this miracle pill or mm-hmm. set of pills or new pills to kick in. And, you know, the way that I thought about it in my brain, that my brain is a soup and I'm trying to put the right ingredients into the soup mm-hmm. to make the soup taste mm-hmm. correctly. So nobody said to you, which is what I say to my clients, is that mm-hmm. trauma leaves a footprint on your brain and we can see trauma on scans. And this is what needs to happen. Did no one explain to you that your brain had changed as a result of these events? You know what's interesting, Nicole, is that you say that as a practitioner who knows her stuff in this space, okay? And, and I mean that very kindly. I speak to practitioners, we have something I got to talk about afterwards, an integrative psych alliance, we call it, which Mm -hmm. is practitioners who practice modalities beyond just traditional medicine and talk therapy. But you got to understand that I was going in New York City to seeing these traditional doctors Mm -hmm. who who practice the allopathic way. And Mm -hmm. they have tremendous uh, credentials, you know, Harvard trained, Columbia trained. The Columbia folks there. Yeah, I'm familiar with some of them. And and, and it's it's not a knock on them. It's the way that they've been taught. Mm -hmm. But but they've been taught you've got a brain problem with these chemicals in your system. You need some kind of synthetic brain chemistry to fix this. And we would need another episode to talk about how they get trained, because I I think that you're probably very aware that Big Pharma is providing a lot of their training. So, of course, they are going to be prescribing a Zoloft or a Lexapro or something like that. And the skeptic in you says, you know, and, and by the way, when you and I talk about this stuff, I always say, hey, if I'm found in a ditch a week after this podcast, you'll know who did it, right? But, you know, it's kind of like my disclaimer of of, of protecting us. Um, but, you know, when you see something, let's take opioids for a second, like Purdue Pharma mm-hmm. getting sued 
for oh. being in cahoots with doctors selling more oh. drugs. I'm not saying that that happens to the same level with psychotropics, but mm -hmm. it doesn't get you, your mind thinking, why are so many doctors going to this model? I think more of it is it's what they're taught. That's what I want to believe in what they know. Um, mm -hmm. And so they, they aren't taught these other integrative type of models and right. other ways to heal. And so, you know, in fairness to them, using either a, you know, a psychiatrist or even a general practitioner as an example, when you go to that doctor and you're one of the lucky ones where a Zoloft or a Prozac or first line SSRI works for you, you're going and I'm going to throw out a percentage here that's just made up. You're going from feeling 62% of yourself back to feeling 77% of yourself. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden you're like, this drug works. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. if you get that initial jump of that 15% from the 62 to the 77, the doctors high five in each other, you're five, <laughs> high five in the doctor, you think things work. And then you don't realize that you're sitting on this bedrock of trauma, which means mm -hmm. the 77 is gonna go down to 74, to 68, to 62 and below over time. So even though you, you're one of the lucky ones who had that initial jump, guess mm -hmm. what? It doesn't stay that way for life because your pot continues to fill with more stress, more trauma over lifetime. If you do nothing about that and those footprints that you just described remain there and you do nothing to smooth over those footprints, our car just becomes kind of like that, that pushing the gas and the wheels just turning in that mud creating the tracks even deeper and deeper and deeper. I see. It's a structural problem. Yes. And I think many people would say that some of the meds just paper over that. Yep. But there's not, we're, we're picking off the, the dandelion head. We're not going for the tap root. And, and Nicole, give me 45 seconds to explain this because I'm working with a functional medicine doctor right now as well. An SSRI is a reuptake inhibitor, the RI in there. All that means is whatever serotonin or if it's an NNR, SNRI, norepinephrine, that is free flowing in my body from what my body makes, it reuptake, it, it inhibits the reuptake. So it keeps more of it in that synapse area and it allows one neuron to fire to the other neuron and have more of it readily available. Well, if through stress and trauma over time, my brain gut access has changed. My mm -hmm. inflammation in my cells have changed. Mm -hmm. The way that I absorb proteins has changed. Guess what? I'm not making a lot of serotonin, making mm -hmm. a lot of norepinephrine in the first place. So having a reuptake inhibitor isn't going to help me too much. And well, so people, the other piece of this is actually it's never been proven yeah. that yeah. serotonin is the issue. And yes. there have been studies of people who are horribly depressed who have so much serotonin that they can share it with all of us. Yes. So it's a theoretical construct. I think that seemed to make some sense and is easy to say to people, oh, you have a chemical imbalance. Right. Because because if, if you're trying to sell drugs and you could equate it to, well, my mom has a thyroid condition and takes Synthroid, or you've got a diabetes problem and you take insulin, it's easy to say to someone, you have a serotonin problem, take this synthetic <laughs> serotonin. That, and the reason why I just, I, the, even though it's a theory, the reason why I explain the SSRI a little bit is to tell people, you're not even taking more serotonin, <laughs> you're taking something that they're saying is inhibiting the uptake of serotonin so there's more free flowing available. Mm -hmm. it's not even a synthetic serotonin that you're taking, right? So mm -hmm. how much does it really help? It had, it never helped me, so I'll say that. So there were other ways I needed to learn how to heal. 
Hey, lovely listeners, I have something really special to share with you. I recently interviewed Dr. Elise Bailu, who is the founder of Mindfulness in May. Every May, thousands of people worldwide join the program featuring the world's best experts and build mental resilience through committing to 10 minutes of meditation per day, while also raising funds to address the world's most urgent global issues. Over the last eight years, Mindful in May has taught over 40,000 people to meditate while raising $800,000 to bring clean, safe drinking water to the developing world. Well, I'm going to give out five free registrations for Mindful in May to the listeners of Zestful Aging who write the most descriptive and original five-star review of Zestful Aging on whatever platform you use to listen. And after you rate the show, please copy and paste your review and send it to me at ZestfulAging.com with instructions on how to contact you. The contest ends April 30th, and I'll be joining the program in May, and I can't wait. And please check out mindfulinmay.org. It's really special. Look for Elise Bailu's episode coming soon. Now, back to the show. So you were in this uh, this state of Mm non-function and with no education. Mm-hmm. So for you, it wasn't like, okay, now the chickens, I don't know if I'm using this, the, have come to roost. Is that the expression? <laughs> like, okay, yep. the PTSD, the trauma, all of this stuff is breaking through. I need to deal with it. You were doing what we're taught to do, which is like, okay, I'm counting down the days. When's this medicine going to help me become the, the person I was before? Absolutely. And and when I was had to leave my job, keep in mind my uh, way that I knew myself, my identity as a person was Eric the sports executive, right? Mm-hmm. I'd done that my entire life because I was Eric the athlete growing up. And so when my owner looked at me in the eyes, military background, great guy, this guy named Vinny Viola, West Point grad, he said, take as much as time as you need, one month, two months, three months, come back, hit the ground running. Well, when I heard three months, as his kind of might not have been what he's his totality of what he would allow me to have was. But I heard that and I said, okay, I have at least three months to get back. Who's not going to get better on medication in three months? Mm -hmm. Worst case, I'll try three different drugs. One will kick in. Well, you know, looking back after two and a half years, that didn't, you know, and, and, and that's why I use my story as much as I can to help people because it breaks my heart, Nicole, to see so many people struggling and they're saying, Eric, I don't get it. I'm doing the talk therapy. I'm doing the medication and I'm mm-hmm. not getting any better. And then you go to these websites. I won't mention the names, but the largest nonprofit websites in our country. And you see for the recommendations going back to the point of what you're talking about with this concept of mental illness. And they mm-hmm. list the mental illnesses there. Mm-hmm. And then they say, here's the recommendations, top recommendations, you know, yes. scientifically backed. Right. And it's it's a combination of medication and talk therapy and you know, what we push on our site, we call them star exercises, stress and trauma, active release and rewiring. It's this gym for the brain. It's mm-hmm. it's this ability to actually take control of the processes, as you just described them, that that our central nervous system often gets you know tripped up on, just like any other system, from the stuff, those footprints that you're talking about that happened to us from earlier in life. 
we need to rejigger those circuits. And so we call them a release and rewiring. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to instead of just waiting for this magic pill to kick in that all too often doesn't happen, it breaks my heart to see these people in those same positions I was in. And I want I don't want to lose people anymore. And I don't want people to lay in bed anymore in, in these awful spots. Mm-hmm. I think the understanding is so important because that cuts through the shame and cuts through, you know, the, the despair somewhat, mm-hmm. I think, of like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And that adds a second layer of distress. It, it, it the, the fact that there is shame when, you know, you and I are sitting here for 20 minutes now talking about stress and trauma. Does anyone choose? for their parents to break up? Does anyone choose to lose someone early in their life? Does anyone choose to go through a bad breakup? There's some things that we choose. I've had people who they were the ones who made the decision to break up with someone, but then because of the way our minds think, they perseverate and obsess over that feeling that they had the day they had to make the breakup or whether it was the right decision. But for the most part, what happens is life hands us stuff. I kind of call it the cheeseburgers for the brain. (laughs) <laughs> and we we witness those things. Well, if we eat a lot of cheeseburgers for our physical health, guess what? We put on weight and we get unhealthy. Okay, then the same thing applies. If we're getting a lot of cheeseburgers for our brain and we didn't ask for them, our brain just had to mm-hmm. consume them because that's what we watched. Guess mm-hmm. what? We have to find ways to burn that off. And, you know, to 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 feel shame, and, and you know, this gets into the minutia of now bringing up the, the whole mental illness piece is mm-hmm. traditionally what we've been taught by the marketers out there, both pharma and the nonprofit organizations, is that one in five people have mental illness. And we nice. need to stop stigmatizing that group of people. I think, you know, the the campaigns of stop the stigma, they sound like a great rallying cry. Like, yeah, Nicole, let's go out. Let's stop the stigma. <laughs> until you realize there's a whole group of people, 80 plus percent of our population who equate mental health and mental illness, think they're the same thing. And so when they hear mental mental health, they, they're thinking depression, anxiety, PTSD. So when someone says, stop the stigma, stop the stigma, they're on the other side of it being like, I don't stigmatize you. I don't make these comments. Or maybe there's someone who is crass about it and they're like, don't slap me on the wrist. But it mm. separates us into two groups. It's the people I that we're see. protecting and then the people who we're, we're claiming are- others, yes. others. And others. And, mm. and that's the, the whole continuum thing, Nicole, now mm. says if we can get everyone to say, which is why our campaign, instead of stop or stop or erase or break the stigma, uh, is same, same here. here. Right. Uh. It's because, Nicole, if you say same here, I've been through challenges and I say same here, I've been through challenges. It doesn't matter that the challenges were or weren't exactly the same. It matters that- those challenges impacted us and got us to this place right now where we're somewhere on that continuum. That oh, erases stigma way more than any campaign saying stop or stop the stigma ever I see that's it's so thoughtful. <laughs> and I think you're just talking about like we all are in this. Yes. And and maybe some of us less than others, but that and, and as you've described, you know, it's part of the human experience. Wow, what a different way to look at it. Are, are, have you found that people challenge or resist this this idea? No, you know, the, the anytime that I get pushback, here's who it's from, and I totally understand it. It's from the people of which I am one of them, right? So I, I always preface it. It's from the group of us who would be considered in the traditional one in five group, right? So my diagnosis is PTSD. And so I think there's this concept because we've been talking about the one in five for so long, because 
Nami's been around for 40 plus mm-hmm. years now. There mm-hmm. was this protection mechanism of they have it worse than anyone else, right? And by the way, mm-hmm. laying in bed for two and a half years, dysfunctional, is having it pretty freaking bad. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the I think what we need to open up our eyes to is do we compare that this person has a worse cancer than the next person mm-hmm. or do we try to support and comfort everyone who has cancer, right? Mm-hmm. So if those of us who are at the point on the continuum where we've reached the point of mental illness, oh, by the way, not only this genetic thing that we either have or don't have, something that all of us can develop, guess what makes us feel all in it together? When we all know that we're susceptible to it and we're all part of that continuum, that makes us feel more comforted. So if I get pushback, it's from the people in the one in five who say, you're really minimizing my struggle. My point to them is say, but then if not, we live out on an island and we're the only ones going through it. And that's not the way that society should treat this. And in fact, it's being reactive with those four and five people where how many times do we hear stories, Nicole, of, well, we lost that person to suicide. You never would have thought, not them, right? It's because uh-huh. we're not oh proactively goodness, getting yes. in front of these people. We're not, you know, and, and I know you talk so much about aging on here. You know, it makes me think about how, you know, I talk about this with my parents all the time. Like, there's these excuses, and, and I'm going to call them excuses, and I hope no one gets upset me using that term, is, well, I'm older now. I've already been through those things before. I've already witnessed the birth of children, or I've already witnessed, you know, my team winning game seven of a World Series. It's not that exciting to me anymore, or I don't need to go out and dance anymore because I, I did that when I was younger. Is that really what the case is? Or do these biological processes of change would happen to us emotionally over time, make it so that we're not able to enjoy those things as much as we used to? Mm-hmm. And is there, if we work on our mental health and we take our gym to the brain, might we be able to enjoy those things that we enjoyed at a younger age as much, if not even more, because of the perspective that we gained if we work our brains out? This is so profound. And I just, I, I'm like, I, there's not much more interesting to me than what we're talking about right now. It's so important. And I, so let me ask you, you know, we're sort of provocative here. Would you do away with the field of psychiatry? No, I'd, I'd morph it into what, you know, we're working with our folks on, on the, on the professional side of things, which is more of a, a, a study into functional neurology. I think, that there is a, you know, we what we see, I think that's long-term. What we see coming together is this idea of integrative psychology, psychiatry, psychotherapy, meeting with functional neurologists so that we get a full picture of the individual. And we could understand how did trauma impact them and how did that impact the trauma plus their genetics impact their biological processes, the way that you know, you've heard all these different terms like the, the loan, the gun, and yes. you know that expression. Yeah. Exactly. And mm-hmm. and and by the way, isn't that such a better way to get to the source of why we're feeling what we're feeling mm-hmm. than treating the end result and saying this person has depression. So let's give them the depression pills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it never worked mm-hmm. for me. And I think, again, I think why I struggled for that two and a half years was it allowed me to learn just how much doesn't work. And I again, I know my thing is different things work for different people. So I'm not going to say there's one silver bullet. That's mm-hmm. why we have a gym for the brain. But what I will say does work best for most people is this combination between working out our neural circuitry mm-hmm. through these star type of exercises mm-hmm. and functionally working with a functional medicine doctor to find out from yeah. a genetic perspective and the way that our brain gut axis works and how our mm-hmm. leaky gut is, 
changing nutrition, changing supplements, uh, introducing things that give us a greater chance to be able to function optimally. So you're just talking about a total makeover here to one of uh, much more holistic and educational and I think welcoming, like, yes, you know, as you say, same here, come on in, let's see where we need to reboot. And by the way, you can look at these scans of people who have PTSD, the brain really does react and change. It, it, um, I, I love that you said the scan. So I, I was offered to go to Dr. Daniel Amen's office and get his the spec scan that they do. Mm-hmm. And um, they showed me this triangular uh, group of uh, parts of my brain. I can't remember all four off the top of my head right now, um, but that they all lit up, meaning that they when I had to perform a task right before and they put the iodine in me to, to make it light up, they could see that those four areas lit up, which which is an indicative of PTSD. Now, not everyone could afford a spec scan. They were nice enough to give it to me for free if I was willing to write about it. Um, and I get that, right? But but Nicole, th- there's there's no denying that everybody goes through things that impact us. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, maybe we don't all have PTSD. But we all have PTS in some way. We all have. Especially post- now. Yes. I mean, who is it? This whole generation yep. is being uh, sort of marinating in stress. It's it's amazing. And and yet, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm very big on understanding the need for us to be socially distant and to wash our hands and to yes, do all the absolutely. things that are being recommended. Right. But right. when you're starting to see some of the outcomes also and I'm, I know you as a mental health practitioner will agree with me on this, sadly agree with me on this, is we haven't even seen the impacts from this pandemic on our right. mental health in terms of aggregate numbers because stress and trauma build cumulatively. So all the people who think they're resilient, like I did when I was working those 15 years in professional sports and mental health wasn't a topic for me, nose to the ground, push, 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 work, work, work. I love what I'm doing. Eventually it catches up to you. And I and so being proactive right now and educating people that mm. what they are sitting on and what they're living through right now is impacting them, even if they can't feel it in the moment, is so important for us to get in front of this. Wow. So back to like the re the the makeover, because mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about sort yeah. of my training, the tools that I use, DSM, throw mm-hmm. it in the garbage, rework <laughs> it. What do you what what's your take on it? Look, I you know, the, the politics of insurance companies and yeah. being able to get reimbursed, I don't know that it's going anywhere anytime soon. If I could wave a magic wand, yeah. yes. I mean, and, and Nicole, okay. I'll introduce you to the folks that we're working with, a woman named Deb Simkin down in in um Florida, for example, she's a trained integrative psychiatrist and functional neurologist at the same time working with adolescents. And, you know, same thing, like these doctors all say to me, Eric, we're what we don't have a depression and serotonin problem. We have a processes of change and what goes on in our system problem that lives off of this combination of stress and trauma, lifestyle and genetics. And when you look at those three things, if we treat that instead of treating the end cause or excuse me, the end, the end label, Mm -hmm. you know, but but I get I get that systems take a long time to change. I also get back to the pharma uh, comment. There's mm. there's people who have every reason for us not to want to get this message out there, and I see that every day on our social media channels how things get suppressed. So <laughs> I, mm. I, I I'm not averse to that. This is a, an uphill battle, but like you said at the beginning of your 
uh, intro how this is your legacy. I think I went through what I went through because this is my legacy to be a part of fighting this. It happened to me at a young enough age where I can dive fully into it and make it my full-time career and my passion. And and that's that's what I've been doing the last three years. So tell me a little bit about the programming. And, you know, one thing I'll say is I went on your website and it's not like, you know, five or six professional athletes. <laughs> this is pages and pages and pages and pages and faces and faces of all kinds of, um, you know, the most successful you can be as a whatever, as a wrestler or <laughs> as a skier or whatever. I mean, the... Was I, I'm sort of switching gears here, but yeah. was it surprising for you to see how many people would jump on this uh, program with you? you? So the candid answer is no, only because once I real when I shared my story and people started calling me everyday mm. people saying, Eric, ah. I lost a child to SIDS five years ago and I've never been the same. Eric, ah. I broke up with my husband 10 years ago. I'm remarried and I love my current husband. I have great two great kids, but that pit in my stomach that I was talking about before, that's never left me. That made me realize that it doesn't matter if you are a professional athlete, an actor, an actress, a musician, an artist, an everyday person, we all face these challenges that when you give people an opportunity to open up based on their story and their stories of challenge, not based on their disorder, that's what is the thread that ties us together. My friend Brian he said to me, so what you've created is a tribe that everyone in the world is already a member of. They just don't all know it yet. <laughs> oh, right. That's, that's and I thought that perfect. was to give him credit. That was brilliant, brilliant on yeah. his part. So to your point about, you know, how like getting all these different athletes or celebrities to join, it was as simple as no, I shouldn't say as simple. I'm making it. But but talking to them on the phone, being connected through common contacts and just sharing my story. Mm -hmm. Once you share your story, you create the safe space for them. They share their story and then you say to them, look, I'm not asking you to share alone. I'm not asking you to raise your hand and say, I have bipolar. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you to share when my parents got divorced when I was eight years old, that really impacted me, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, it takes brave people to do that, but I think it's a little bit easier to share than just the label, number one. Um, and then number two, when you're sharing it with other people, uh, it, it certainly helps that you're not the quote only one. And then, you know, I pitched them on this idea when I say pitch, not from a sales perspective, but like this vision concept of if we can get people with platforms, circle one, doctors and practitioners, circle two, everyday mm -hmm. people, circle three, and combine all these experiences where you have experiences of uh, very successful people, experiences of everyday people, the uh, knowledge of all these practitioners who understand the things that you were joking with me about, about where the change needs to happen, we could put a package it with a strong marketing message, which is same here and we're all a little mm -hmm. crazy in quotes, and now use our brand partnerships like, you know, different schools, different colleges, different sports teams and leagues to get those messages out through the people that we're working with, them partnering with those brands and those companies to now train the masses and help them better educate that to me can bring about real change. And so that's, you know, I've been fortunate to have those folks who've been willing to, you know, kind of put their flag in, in what we're doing and saying, I'm, I'm on board. I, I like what you're building. And you're the perfect person because you are, were already an expert in promotion. <laughs> so you're promoting something that's really near and dear to your heart rather than maybe uh, a sports team. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. the, the ter I, I've seen so many good <laughs> posts lately about no one's really an expert. We're all figuring it out as we go. 
And, you know, so maybe some of us are more well experienced in, in, in certain things. So I don't know that, you know, I, I could call myself an expert or anything other than to say, I do think I have empathy and I have, you know, EQ and mm -hmm. I can read very quickly how people feel about stuff. And so even mentioning the term mental illness, for mm -hmm. example, that puts me on edge when I hear that term, mm -hmm. even though. I would be diagnosed as someone with mental illness. Mm -hmm. It gives me this charge. Okay, well now I know if I use the term mental illness and even mental health because it gets equated with mental illness. Why, mm -hmm. Nicole? Because if we go to a, a newspaper stand or, an, or a magazine stand at an airport, if you see a magazine on physical health, it's six pack abs, it's big pecs, it's, mm -hmm. it's you know home workouts. You see a magazine on mental health and it's Imagine what it's like being inside their head, right? Like those are the headlines that we see. And so, you know, what people think of when they hear mental health and mental illness, all I'm doing is I'm saying I'm a, I'm a, a an individual who could put my finger on the pulse and say, these messages are just off and they mm -hmm. don't get us to where we feel like we're together in this and mm -hmm. it relates to the everyday person. And that's what we need. So, you know, been lucky. And then, you know, diving a little bit deeper is we have programming in five main areas of focus, K through 12, colleges and universities, uh, sports teams and leagues, corporate offices, and then servicemen and women and first responders. And, and that's only done as a way to try and break up this massive 7 billion person population into strategic buckets. Mm -hmm. Most people fit into either school or school kids. An office, right? So you usually can can get in front of most people that way. But but if I'm right in this hypothesis that it's five and five and not one and five, mm -hmm. this is where I, my my pitch to everyone out there is: my organization is never going to be the be all end all. Nami is never going to be the be all end all. Mm -hmm. Jed Foundation is never going to be the be all end all because there are seven billion people who need these messages. It's time we started holding hands and working mm -hmm. together with the same messages in a consistent way to help as many people as possible and for organizations not to look at each other like competitors. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a lot. You've brought together so many different, um, facets of this. So let's just pretend I am in, in France and I'm listening to this interview. We mm -hmm. have a lot of followers from France. And I think to myself, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And I really want to get on board with this. What is the first thing that someone might do to challenge their old ways of thinking about um, emotional and mental health? Sure. So on our site, I would start by reading the stories of these recognizable figures. That's why we okay. put that front and center. Okay. So you see their thumbnails and you could click in there. And you, when you read their stories, what's relatable, again, is that they're sharing things that they've been through in life. And because we have these motor neurons in our brains, you read that and you say, that sounds similar to me, my Aunt Nessie, my cousin Bill, <laughs> right? And so you start to say, okay, I can see how this concept of mental health applies to me. Then you go later down on the page and there's these star exercises. And before you ever get into the exercises, we have one video and another one that we'll be uploading soon from a guy who's more accomplished on, on the athletic field than I ever was. He was the center for the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers when they won the Super Bowl a, a number of years ago, one of their Super Bowls, I should say. Um, and, and what we share in that video is an explanation for why we don't know what we don't know and why mm -hmm. we should be having openness towards these other practices that 
you know, might be considered these things called Eastern, functional, holistic, or alternative. Those terms, all they do, they're meant to stigmatize what actually works. That's why we call it STAR. So you have a better scientific explanation of what's happening in your system. And so when you watch those videos and you read the profiles of the practitioners who are making the sign themselves and who are writing and filling out the profiles themselves to explain to you what the different exercises are, now you could be an educated consumer and a consumer for yourself, meaning your health is what you're buying for. Your family's health is what you're buying for. And when I say buying, meaning buying in, not buying, spending mm-hmm. anything, everything mm-hmm. on the site is free. But you're, you're buying in so that now you could look at the world in a different way and say, ah, okay, I waited in the past like Eric did until a catastrophe happened, until I became dysfunctional. I just thought I'd never get that way. I didn't have to focus on my mental health. Well, think about it. If we thought about our physical health that way, then we'd all sit on the couch, watch TV, (laughs) eat nachos, uh, never get up, live a sedentary lifestyle, Mm -hmm. and we'd get diabetes and heart disease by the time we're 28, 30 years old, all of us, and then we'd hope that some magic pill would just make us feel better. That's essentially what we're doing with our mental health, and it's really scary. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, what you would advise uh, this this person and <laughs> is to hop on, on to, over to your website. So tell, tell us exactly how to find out about these star exercises, read the bios of these professional athletes and other celebrities. Where do we go? Thank you. So the <laughs> name of the website is Same Here. That's our mm-hmm. campaign, S-A-M-E-H-E-R-E, global, mm-hmm. uh, samehereglobal.org. And um, the athletes are listed up there. The star exercises are listed up there. We have in our Same Here Alliances a global integrative practitioner alliance. And if there's not one in your area or in your country, um, that's what we're networking to do right now is bring together. That's, Nicole, why I want to introduce you to Dr. Pleaner on our end is meeting these practitioners from all around the world who believe in this concept of getting to the Mm -hmm. source so that you know, my, my hope is anyone who's going through anything or wants to be proactive with their mental health has a quarterback like you that they can come to and say, mm. Nicole, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Where do I start? You know, I, right. I, I've, I've, I need someone to hold my hand through this. Mm-hmm. And and really provide the education. Uh, I'm sure you know Bessel van der Kook. Of course. Uh, who Love talks it. about, you know, and so that's a book that I hand out like Tic Tacs. <laughs> you know, it's like, look at the picture. This is not you being um, soft or you having not not having character or you being damaged. Look at the brain. You did, you know, you, yep. you couldn't even do that. This. this is all happening biochemically. And now we know because we can see inside the brain. So it's taught us so much. Or in Bessel's case, that trauma being stored in your psoas muscle oh, or yes. in your oh, neck. Yes. You know, and oh, how many people yes. do we see walking around and it looks mm-hmm. like they're in physical pain? Mm-hmm. And it's really related to mm-hmm. the trauma that they've seen over their life. The it, the issues are in the tissues. Yep, that's what they <laughs> that's, say. <I> <laughs> So, um, samehereglobal.org, they can go on and read about this just incredible shift in mindset. Um, And boy, you know, this idea of like, we're we're really so much more alike than we are different mm-hmm. how you know that's that's transformative in and of itself and i could see that would have very positive ripple effect especially now it uh you know 
Nicole, I could tell you that some of the most endearing things in the world to me and, and, and humbled me so much is when I go to a school and it's second graders and we take a picture at the end and you see these schools with, with kids with all these diverse backgrounds all standing up and making the sign together. Mm. Or we have people from all over the world who speak different languages. They, mm. they, they tag us on social media. I should have shared that at same here mm-hmm. underscore global. Okay. Um, where we have communities and people can actually, you know, tap into those communities. And we see people from all over the world talking and sharing with one another mm. and supporting one another is I think that's why the sign is such a big piece of this as well, because, you know, languages sometimes separate us if, if we speak different languages. But a sign that says I'm part of your tribe, like we're all in this mm. together, that transcends anything. And and that's what we need. We need to support one another especially in this world that's divided by politics, especially in this world that's devoted, divided by social issues. There's one thing that is common and, and is, is part of all of us, and is, mm-hmm. that is that life experiences impact all of us. We should all be able to come together around that. Mm-hmm. It's such important work, and I can hear the passion in your voice, and I can hear how you know it's just radiating from you. Um, how invested you are, and how deeply satisfying this work is for you. It, it uh, you know, leaving sports. I didn't, you know, because you you play sports as an athlete, and then you're fortunate enough to get your dream job out of school and parlay that into other positions. And I don't, hopefully that doesn't come off in a heady way. I realized how lucky I was to be able to do those things and that, you know, luck had to, to, to fall my way in many cases. But when I was working in sports, I pinched myself because I thought, wow, this is the dream job. I could never find anything better than this. You asked the question earlier about, you know, being in the office and doing that versus doing this right now. And I could tell you that I'm having more fun and more energized and more enthused mm-hmm. By doing this than anything I ever did in sports, it's because my canvas is the entire globe instead of the 75 mile radius around the building that I used to market from. <laughs> my my product is not just tickets and sponsorship; it's everything. Mental health mm-hmm. literally touches everything, mm-hmm. um, and the people I get to work with are all drawn towards the same cause and on the same team, working together to help people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- talk about a contribution to humanity. You know, I, I hopefully, Nicole, I, it's interesting. I'm not looking at it that way yet. And I love that you said that. Like, I look at it as I'm a competitive SOB and I want to, like, change the way that people see this. Mm-hmm. And I want to give, yes, th- there's a draw to me that is every individual person that I speak to, every group of people that I speak to, I don't want them to ever suffer the way that I did. So that's the, I guess, altruistic piece of it. I haven't looked at it yet from, like, a global perspective of, like, Look at the great global change we could bring about, despite the fact that the name is same here global. It almost becomes like I want to get the details of the X's and O's and the small things down the right way instead of focusing so much on the big picture to start. Okay. And maybe, maybe maybe that's a protection mechanism in my own brain. And that way, if I if I fail at this, <laughs> I don't feel so bad at it. But but, you know, I, I'm, I'm a true believer. So Alex Rodriguez, um, who played for the Yankees. He told a story a couple of days ago that his manager, Joe Torrey, he was in the middle of a slump. And Torrey said to him, Alex, big things happen when you focus on the little things. And he got up to the plate and he took a swing and he missed by a mile. And he again, he'd been in this long slump and he saw Torrey in the dugout and Torrey took his hands from out wide and just said the little things. He, he, mm. he, he lipped it and he moved his hands inside. 
And that next pitch, all Alex did was focus on his legs. He said, okay, I got to torque my legs a certain way. Bam, Mm -hmm. hits a home run over the left center field the next Mm -hmm. pitch. And, you know, those are the things that motivate me because I think if you get the minutia of the little things down on an everyday basis, the world rewards you when you're doing stuff that it is meant to help other people in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It is It is so exciting. And I just feel so honored to uh, have you talk about it on the show. And I wanted to just repeat it for folks. The uh, It is sameheareglobal.org. It's a fascinating website. You're going to learn a lot. And uh, it sounds like that's the first step in mm-hmm. really challenging some of uh the the narratives that we have been believing for years about mental health thank you so much eric i so appreciate your energy and your work no i i I feed off of your energy as well on this call so (laughs) uh thank you for for all the passion that you bring and i think that intersection of aging aging gracefully aging with enthusiasm and passion and Mm -hmm. mental health i think they're so intertwined. So I really appreciate you having me on. Hey, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a powerful new tool that supports your mental and emotional health in what are extremely trying times. And you may remember that I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years, and I'm always a little suspicious of products that claim to help us feel less anxious, depressed, or worried. But then I was introduced to a new kind of app called Cope Notes, and I have become a big fan. Cope Notes was developed by a guy who spent a lot of his life trying to figure out what might help support him through his own weekly psychotherapy sessions. Cope Notes is an app that gives you random texts through the day to break through some of the negative messages that might be repeating in your head. It's well-researched and has been a adopted by many mental health facilities. I highly recommend it. I think we can all use a little support right now. So check out copenotes.com forward slash zestful. I will receive a small portion of those proceeds. Um, And I'd love to hear your feedback about how it works for you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. 
And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.